Howdy folks, welcome to Season 3 of the Newsprint Commando. I'm your host, Ed Moore. I think I'm going to be looking at Elf Lord from Aerosol Comics this season, X-Mutants from Eternity and Amazing and Pied Piper Comics this season, and continue my look at Pacific Comics by month this season. So... Elf Lord and X-Mutants will be alternating on their respective days. And then the second Tuesday of every month, I am going to be looking at Pacific Comics. So that'll be the schedule. So like this episode, uh, welcome to 2025, by the way, New Year's Day. Uh, and then the ninth will be the first Pacific Comics episode. And then the 29th will be the next regular newsprint commando episode. So every every four episodes, give or take, should be a newsprint commando this month. And then, like I say, every second Tuesday will be the Pacific Comics. Now, Elf Lord has got kind of an interesting history. I am looking at what is labeled most everywhere you see it as Volume 1 coming out from Aerosol Comics. I think it went six or seven issues, and then Aerosol uh, came back with a Volume 2. Barry Blair is involved. Uh, he's not writing this particular issue. I haven't looked forward any. Uh, but the interesting thing about this is that folks living in the Montreal area in 1980, uh, which is when and where Barry Blair was living in Montreal, would have seen a volume of Elf Lord pop up in their local comic shops. Over the course of the very early 80s, 80, 81, 82, not just one volume, but more than likely two volumes of Elf Lord come out from a company Barry Blair called Nightwind, W-Y-N-D, comics. Now, those books, anything from that early 80s era of Nightwind that Barry Blair himself put out, is, is kind of fallen into that realm of mythical comics. They were so short-printed that about the only folks now that would have them are probably folks that lived in Montreal in 1980, 1981, and went to comic shops. They will pop up very irregularly on eBay. Uh, and my go-to place, Lone Star Comics, has never even seen any of these copy, uh, copies to have any listings of the book in their uh, online purchase area. So the first volume of... Elf Lord that they have is this volume that I hold in my hand. And this issue, I have the first printing of the issue. Apparently there's a, well, there's a second printing of the issue. And then there is also a reprinting of this volume a year and a half or so later as well that is listed. So it's, it's very, depending on how deeply you dig into the history, it, it gets a little bit more and more convoluted the deeper you go <laughs> instead of more and more, uh, what is the opposite of convoluted? Non, unconvoluted, whatever, uh, but easier to understand, which, you know, a lot of things will be that way kind of the more you dig into it, but not Elf Lord, not Barry Blair's comic career. So that having been said, let's take a look at the creatives for this issue. It is scripted by Bruce Blair, penciled by Patrick McCown lettered by Barry Blair, and lettered by Iwan Mark. My contact information is Teal Productions and News P Commando on Twitter. Teal Productions is also on Sky Blue, as well as Facebook. 
all of those locations. Teal is spelled T-E-A-L like the color. I am IndieMan at gmail.com is the email address. And comicbooknoise.com slash T-N-C, Tango November Charlie, is the website. So now looking at the front cover, which the front cover was brought to us by Patrick McCown and Barry Blair. Uh, no indication for colors, although it is a full-color cover. Now the contents inside are black and white. And the cover is three, I'm going to presume, trolls. You don't have any indication to uh, kind of figure out their size, uh, their height or anything like that. But I believe they're probably trolls in this world. And it looks like they're walking through a swamp uh, that is full of trees that there is not a leaf on a tree. It's all just bare tree branches, limbs, trunk, everything like that. But they are wading through some uh, knee-deep water for trolls, however tall these guys are. Inside front cover is looks like a a little text mm, write up about Elf Lord, but it doesn't really give any indication, any biographic information or anything like that. It's almost poetic prose, but it's not poetry, so it's kind of flowery prose, let's say. Then the first story page, we're told Elf Lord created by Barry Blair, written by Bruce Blair, penciled, inked, lettered. Publisher, Ken Campbell. Special thanks to Sandy Garland, Roger Cam, and Tim McCown. Printed at Performance Printing, published by Aerosol Publishing Limited. Evening in the walled city of Greenhaven, the Black Raven Inn. Favorite watering hole for the King's soldiers. And we have several people here mulling about outside the Black Raven's Inn. Prostitute. Looks like someone carrying produce or perhaps bread. And someone else here with a wagon walking up to sell their supplies couple elves, a young one looking at a drunk laid out here next to the door. Just very common kind of peopling around an inn, I would think. Then we go inside where we're introduced to Hawk Erickson, Pure Breeze, and Windblade Greensleeve. Very poetic names for the elves, not Bob or Jim or Stan. Hawk Erickson took a sip from a fresh mug placed in front of him by the barmaid and sighed listlessly. Sitting with the young elfin were his friends Pure Breeze and Falcon, both caught up with the spirit of the tavern. Cheer up, Hawk. The princess isn't gone forever. Parting makes the heart grow stronger. Now see, there's there's much, in a way, uh, confusion here of who is where and what. But... So automatically, I was wrong. We're introduced to Hawk, Pure Breeze, and Falcon. Windblade comes up later. Falcon turns up elsewhere later. But anyway, these three elves, and they're all the king's guards. The elves are the king's guards, but the foot soldiers in this kingdom are humans, at least humans. They may be other races too, but interestingly enough, only the king's guard or elves are the only members of the King's Guard. It would be the way to say it. No humans, no anything else. Now, the king does have a magician, Doran, who is human as well. Uh, very, yeah, snively, sneaky, evil, underhanded kind of dude. But the three elves are sitting here, and looks like they run amok of what appears to be a larger human, although looking at his ears, he's got pointed ears like elves, although he is easily twice the size of any of these elves. So I don't know if it's another race of elves or what we've got. Maybe 
what it is is that everyone, yeah, I, I'm just, I'm not sure. There is a differentiation between the king's elves and everyone else. Um, I'm not sure anymore. I thought I understood why, but now I don't. But this dude, his name is, uh, let's see, Brolo, appears, I guess, now to be an elf. I didn't realize that before. I thought he was human. But he is, like I say, two, maybe three times the size of these other elves, both in height, but breadth also. And that just could be because he's out of shape. But he picks a fight because the king's royal guard is here. And that's who these three elves are members of, the king's royal guard. Brolo is just a common army military person, guard. And so he takes offense that the higher-ups are here in his uh, slum bar, I guess. You know, they're slumming it tonight, he thinks. And the elves get after him, the royal guard elves get after him, just indicating they just want to be left alone. They just want to have a drink. After a drink or two, they'll go on their merry way. There's no reason for anything. But uh, this puts me in mind, uh, recently my wife and I, and, and this will give away when I record this as opposed to when it airs. But recently, my wife and I have been watching the second season of Reacher on Amazon Prime. Excellent. Excellent. Fun television series, by the way. But Reacher uh, is often described in ways that all allude to the fact that he appears like a kaiju for those of us that are geeks. Okay. He's 6'5". He goes probably two and a quarter, somewhere between two and a quarter, 250. Um, but he's just a huge dude, and he is the one that is apt to go into a place and just want to sit quietly because that's that's what he wants to do. Until he gets riled, Reacher is just a very slow, sedate kind of dude. He just wants to to live and be left alone, and you know whatever. Much like these elves. Now these elves are small, and the dude that bothers them is big. A lot of times on the Reacher show, it's the other way around. He's a big dude that all of these smaller dudes want to fly around him like gnats and and sting him and upset him. You know, I still haven't figured out why. I'd, well, to advance the narrative is why, but in real life, I don't understand why. So it's it's very similar, only reversed physicality here. These elves just want to be left alone, enjoy some drinks, and go about their thing. But Brolo says, no, you know, have at thee, and he draws his sword, ultimately a sword held to his chin, uh, holding him up, and then a kick to the jewels, putting him down, ends Brolo's evening, and also gives these elves a chance to slip out. Now, they go outside, and they meet another elf. Here is Windblade Greensleeves. He's the last of his kind, because he's a white-haired elf belonging to a magical race of she. Uh, so here is Windblade Greensleeves, and Windblade comes across, well, this says he, but Windblade is probably the most effeminate looking of the elves, and that's also something else about Barry Blair's elven design. They look uh, very feminine, slight, small, delicate features. They they all look very feminine, and that even gets even more interesting later on in his career when he starts writing uh, and drawing erotic comic books and everyone is running around bottomless so you can see their equipment. But then when you look at the rest of the uh, features, it looks very feminine, not the um, trans kind of both uh, breasts or anything like that and, and male equipment or anything like that, but just male upstairs, male downstairs, but very effeminate looking features. And again, that's in his more erotic writing that'll come 
Eh, five to ten years from now, really. So very effeminate looking elves. Well, Brolo, he's recovered and he's like, oh, you know, no, it's not going to end like this. So he runs back out there, sword drawn again. And uh, this time Hawk Erickson uh, kind of puts him down rather quickly, slashes his pants, which fall to the ground. And while he's paying attention to the pants, Hawk uh, kicks him in the face. Next day, we go to the king's castle where we see that his magician Doran has plans and they involve a rather rough looking dagger that he pins in a table here. He's been summoned by the king and he is going down to the king's uh, quarter, uh, not quarters, but where the, the king sits on his throne and welcomes people in and dispenses kingly um, duties and, you know, things like that. So the king is sitting here, and he is completely surrounded by elves, like the small, uh, effeminate-looking elves, the, the royal guard. Now, the king, I can't really tell. The king probably looks human looking at his ears. He's got rounded ears. But even this wizard Doran has got big, rough-looking, pointy ears. Now, his ears are looking more unto the uh, Lucifer poison elf-style ears. Whereas the rest just have pointy ears, I notice here. So I don't know if this I, I, this is way too early for any poison elf stuff to be alluded to. So I don't know. Maybe I'll pull that stuff out and talk about it next season. I, Lucifer, for the first little bit and then change the names to poison elves. If I recall, Lucifer was the name of the elf, the main character. But the wizard kind of convinces the king that... He needs a mystical object. The, the wizard needs it. And he can't get it because he would leave the king unattended, and that wouldn't be cool. But, king, if you send some of your royal guard members, I know they'll be able to complete the quest and, and get the jewel, I believe it is, and bring it back. And then you, king, not me, wizard, but you, king, will be the most powerful king ever which actually means that the wizard will be the most powerful wizard ever because he's evil. So they send out Hawk, Pure Breeze, and Windblade to gather the jewel, leaving Falcon in attendance, among others, uh, that we don't know the name of to guard the king. Brolo rides out humorously, uh, as big as his pony, and says that he wants to join the party. So now there are four. There's Brolo. And the three elves with really cool names that I mentioned before. Riding through the forest, they determine that they're being followed. So they jump off the ponies and set the ponies on. And, and they will either continue on the journey if the path is clear. Or if things be become rough and they become spooked or something like that. Ultimately, the, the ponies will return to where they came from. So they'll wind up one way or another back at the castle. They don't have to worry about them. Other than the fact that any supplies or anything like that that they might have had on the ponies, they don't have because they didn't get that stuff. They have their weapons and that's it. Eh, and their money, I guess. So they hop off, send the ponies on their way and wait. And sure enough, a troll patrol walks uh, up and past them and everything and they decide, oh, well, we are being followed. So now we have to contend with the fact that there are troll forces out and about while we're trying to go to wherever this jewel is and get this jewel and come back. So Hawk remembers that he has a friend that has a fairy. It's the Buckleberry Fairy. No, I'm kidding. It's not. That's a different different fiction. Um, Hawk knows an old elf that has a fairy that will ferry them across the river. So they decide to follow 
the path until it gets to this river and then go upstream to the next crossing where he has this friend. On the ferry, they decide to take it even further upriver to where they come to a falls, falling down onto their level. So it's as far as they can go on this level of the river. And the ferryman puts them across the stream there so that they can then find their way through this, you know, mostly unused portion of trail to the village that they're trying to get to. And hopefully they will get there without running any into any ne'er-do-wells because they wouldn't expect them on this unused portion. You know, anybody who is setting up an ambush or what have you is going to be on the most traveled tracks, trails, and, and stuff like that to find people. So they are trying to avoid that, but still get there with the least amount of, of issue. They don't necessarily want to track cross-country, of course, very much. And anytime I see questing or traveling, I, I always come to... um the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. Uh, those are my um, touchstones that everything fantasy is compared to in, in my world. And I always think about the Hobbits and how they traveled and uh, the, the prancing pony at night and, you know, just everything in any kind of group travel in fantasy movies. I always compare to my, uh, my head images of those things. Now, there have been movies that have shown that, but it was not as cool as what was in my head anyway. So I always refer back to my impressions of first reading those books and what I saw in my mind's eye of the travel and traveling tracks and having to hide as the ring race go by the bad guys and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So, sorry. Uh, I'm, I'm feeling that again as I'm reading this first part of this book. I'm taken back to the Lord of the Rings. So they set off our four travelers. And again, that is uh, Captain Brolo. Hawk Erickson, Pure Breeze, and Windblade Green Sleeves. Cutting back that night to Greenhaven, which is the city with the castle uh, that Wizard Doran and the King are in. And Doran has sprung his, his thingy where he's going to take over for the King. So he kills the King, and Falcon witnesses this, jumps out screaming about it. But then the wizard calls what guard is there and has Falcon taken away to the dungeon, claiming that he is the killer himself, whereas we know it to be the reverse, as does Falcon, of course. Cut back to our foursome group here traveling. They're trying to get through some mountains and find that they are being followed and beset upon by forces unknown, and they stop and encounter a, what is it, a Srith, S-R-I-T-H, which is a rather large reptilian-looking dude on two legs with four arms, each wielding a piece of steel, a battle axe and three swords, it looks like. And he's even got some heads, I think, tied to his belt here of people that he has already vanquished. He does speak some, but not very much. Our foursome attack, and we see that Brolo is probably the going to be the comedic relief. And as the Srith pays attention to him, Windblade casts a spell that puts him to sleep, and then Hawk jumps atop the sleeping body and beheads him. We finally arrive, our foursome does, at, well, Right before they arrive, I'm sorry, at the village or at the city called the Devil's Doorway, we are introduced to Bran, who is a mercenary elf who is wanting to join the forces that are protecting this city against 
attack of whomever. Uh, we we don't really find out, but the city apparently is under siege. Although in the full page spread that we see of this side of the city, everything looks normal. It is very very fortified, but we don't see anything about it being under siege. That's uh, textually given to us, and then it's referred to by Bran, who is trying to find out where he can enlist. And speaking to a couple current guards here, they're Elvin too, and they are, and Bran, uh, all three of them are completely different shapes and sizes. So I guess the elves in this world are like humans in our world. They, they just come in all shapes and sizes. Um, Bran passes a brothel here with a little nod to them. Oh, well, looks like payment may be in more than coin, you know, he thinks. And then he walks up, he's not paying attention, and walks right into a something, an ogre, maybe. And so he's talking to the ogre, and it looks like the ogre is going to take offense, but then he's like, he's a jovial ogre and laughs it off with what Bran is saying, even though half of what Bran says is not funny, but the ogre takes it as all funny, and so they part ways, ha ha ha, I like you, small elf, be off with you, ha ha, thanks for the laugh. That's that's what the Although he didn't say it quite as haltingly as I did. I'm not sure why it came out like that. But And as Bran is kind of skulking away, he's thinking to himself, I wasn't being funny. But he goes on, and in one portion of the town that is uh, seemingly deserted, he starts hearing a cry for help, rushes into a building, and he sees that these creatures have tunneled up from underneath the building and are attempting to take away uh, down into the depths kidnap, in essence, all of the elves in this building where they are, whether it be a store or a, I don't know, but there's a lot of elves. There's two, four, six that we can see, and these creatures, um, eh, they're a little hard to describe. They're kind of created in a uh, in a funny or amusing, a non-threatening kind of way, but yet they're doing very threatening things, and they're wielding three-pronged pitchforks to enforce their will. So they're fighting the elven defenders here in this building, and one of the uh, the the old man, the wise owner of the building, the shopkeeper, the whatever he is, uh, we don't really know yet, is filling Bran in on what has to happen. So everyone is fighting, and then the uh, troll, whatever ogre, whatever he's going to turn out to be that Bran met, hears everything and comes with a huge rock that he throws and uh, covers the hole that these creatures were coming in and out of, preventing them from getting into the building. The elves kill the rest of them that are up here on the on street level in the building with them. And ultimately, this old man um, indicates that someone is after him named Nendo the Witch. She's the one that sent these other creatures. He never gives forth his name that I can tell, but I believe maybe he is Bernster. Although, again, we don't see any indication of a name here that I can find. So uh, he tries to hire Bran and the ogre, but the ogre says, no, you know, sorry, I already have a job. I'm a mercenary defending the city, which is what Bran wanted to do, right? He wanted to enlist in that. But now the old man says, I'll pay you twice that amount. And actually, I think he convinces the ogre to... um, help also. So this old man, this shopkeeper, this magician, here it is. He's Kota, K-O-E-T-A, the merchant. 
So he is Kota the Merchant, and he is besieged by Nendo the Witch, and he hires Bran and the Ogre to protect him from Nendo by paying them twice what the city pays mercenaries to join up with them. And they all walk away living happily ever after. No, I'm kidding. Uh, they just, that's where basically the story ends. Bran has been hired by Kota to protect him, and that is that. Back cover has more questing elves. We have a couple here that are holding bows that are unstrung for some reason. And uh, one is wielding a sword. They don't really look like anybody inside. Uh, one is definitely a female because she has a bosom showing, shall we say. Uh, one looks down here like perhaps Friar Tuck. Um, and so maybe this is a play on uh, Robin Hood. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, couldn't find any information about who these characters were or who drew this or anything on the back. It's initialed PM, which is Patrick McGowan, uh, perhaps, I guess, is who penciled it. Don't know anything about ink and coloring, anything like that. PM. Looks like maybe there's a B. Blair here, so he probably inked it. So Barry Blair and Patrick McCown did the back here. It's a really cool. It's a really cool image. Uh, they're they're walking out of a forest, and you can see behind them the trees, uh, trunks, and branches up to a certain point. And then beyond that, it's all leafed. And in the background behind them, those the, the vast expanse of leafed forest looks very much like landscape, like you would see if it were brown and mountains and whatnot, only it's green leafy trees. But it very much looks like a landscape in the background of hills and mountains, blue sky above it. Pretty Pretty cool picture, all in all. So, that's the first issue of Elf Lord. Um, as I said, I'll be alternating between Elf Lord and X-Mutants with a little bit of Pacific Comics thrown in there. So, the next newsprint commando, I will be talking about Captain Victory and the Galactic Rangers issue number 7. Talk to you guys then. Ciao, bella. <laughs>